Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Craig. And we are collectively Groundworks Inc. Um, <laughs> we design and build gardens in, in New York City and the surrounding area. And our show aims to bring culture to horticulture. So this is our last show of the season. It is because we're going to have dirt under our fingernails very soon. soon. <laughs> but we're going to be back in the fall with no more f- manicures for us. No, <laughs> I got my trash nails right now, <laughs> <Nice>. all raggedy. <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to be back in the fall with a whole new roster of shows, so we're not disappearing, right? Um, and some pretty extraordinary guests that we've already lined up. So this is. My last chance, and it's really important, if you haven't already, go to our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc., We Dig Plants, and follow us, because after today, it's the only way that you can get a heads up on upcoming shows, as well as horticultural news and events, and, and some of the classes and events that we're going to be having. Right. Um, which are spring. upcoming, yeah. They're upcoming. And you'll also get to see what we're up to in the field. We're going to post pictures of some of our projects and the things that we're doing. So I also want to thank, this week we also got a whole new roster of fans as well. So we sure thank did. you uh, to those new people. So um, Alice and I thought that it would be fitting that we end our season on a, a note, historical note. On a historical note and a hopeful note. Yeah. Um, because... That's kind of what spring symbolizes to so many people. Long winter's over, at least in the northern hemisphere. And what better symbol of hope than a seed, right? Right. So today we're going to talk about the history and the future of the oldest seed company in America, D. Landreth Seed Company, located right here in the Northeast in New Freedom, Pennsylvania. We have joining us on the line from Pennsylvania, the CEO, Barbara Malera, and her she has an amazing background. She doesn't come from a horticulture background no. at all. She actually has a degree in mathematics and Soviet studies from MIT. I know, it's awesome. <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and she also, and then after that, she uh, was a venture capitalist. Yeah. So she bought the company and is in the process of, of transforming it. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Great. Barbara, <laughs> you must be exhausted. You've been at the Philly, um, Philadelphia <laughs> Flower Show, right? Yes, dear. I, I, I'm exhausted. It's a 140-hour week, and we were up until 3 a.m. packing up to get out of the convention center. Wow. But importantly, did you sell a lot of seeds? Oh, yes. We <laughs> sold a lot of seeds. To give you an idea, we probably sold 
in that nine days, about 25,000 seed packets. Oh, my gosh. Great. Wow. And you got, so does that include also the orders for... Um, uh, that was no, just no, retail, that, right? Seed packets that walked out of the booth. <laughs> right, right. That's incredible. Wow, that's at retail. So that's yep. a lot. Right. That's a huge quantity. So well, how was the show, Barbara? I'm so disappointed that I didn't get to go this year. I heard really good things about it. It, it was outstanding. It was what a flower show should be, in, in my not-so-humble opinion. It was an amalgamation of beauty at, at its finest, and of education, horticultural education and historical education. And it was also an outreach to one of our dearest friends, which is Britain. The, the theme was brilliant, but yeah. that was the name of the theme, brilliant. But it was actually um, a collaboration of the history of Britain and horticulture. And there are few countries in this world that have a longer and more celebrated history in horticulture than Britain does. Yeah. I have to say, at the Olympics, um, at the opening ceremonies, when they did their tribute to um, uh, the UK's history of land use, I got really excited. (laughs) Uh, Well, they had a lot of uh, high-tech kind of displays, right? Wasn't there like a virtual Big Ben yeah. Yes, there was a wonderful virtual Big Ben. But, th- but that's, that's the high-tech side of it. Yeah. The really incredible side of it was some of the more intimate displays, which they've never done before, but they had so many more intimate exhibits. They had a little cottage with raised beds all around them, and in the raised beds were, were all sorts of flower bulbs that you never see at these flower shows. They had iris reticulatas, you know, the wow. little tiny irises they they had ifium or ifium yes uh, yes just stuff that we never ever see and and they had them in these little raised beds around this tiny little cottage they had they had a history of seed exhibit carbon wow that was really neat that was tied into bartram's garden yeah. and oh yes very yeah. early um history of seed in this country so it, it really was a marvel well, thank show. god for the brits to bring yeah some, i've some gone to a few flower shows it. and i'm very happy to hear positive things especially from people in the industry because there have been some years and some flower shows that i've been really disappointed with it just yeah. seemed like it had gone down the tubes and they would take any vendor that even had the like not even a close you know relation to horticulture you know it's exactly. good to hear. It's really, well, really I, good to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the last flower show I went to was several years ago. I won't name the show, but yeah. it was, I mean, it, it, it seemed a little silly. They had tulips next to Bird of Paradise. So yeah. it yeah. was kind of weird, and it was just like a schlocky mix of whatever was yeah. in bloom. Um, but, so it's, But you see, with the way they interpreted this, yeah. they, they, could, they could have the imaginary because they actually had an Alice in Wonderland yeah. um, exhibit. And in that one, they had these English box goods. And sure enough, just like an Alice in Wonderland, they were all covered with red roses. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and That's really great. I, I'm going to have to look and see and post some pictures because I didn't get to go this year. Yeah. I'm sure it was packed. As you were saying, you sold so many seed packets. And that's what, what we wanted to talk about today, Barbara, was your your experience, as we, as we uh, described earlier on in the very, very brief bio. Um, you don't come from a horticulture background. You come from venture capitalism. So why would you buy a seed company? Okay. The most important thing for you to remember from that question is that my academic training has nothing to do with horticulture. 
but I'm a gardener, and I've been one since I was five years old. The very first thing I grew was zinnias in <laughs> a cardboard shoebox, which, and few of them made it to the garden because the bottom fell out of the shoebox before <laughs> yeah, right. watering it. But I have every year of my life, and I'm now 62, so for 57 years, when the spring has come, my hands, like you guys, have been in the soil. And that, more than anything, teaches you what you need to know about horticulture. And, you know, when people come into our booth and ask a question, I've raised everything that we sell. And I can tell them what's good and what's bad. Plus, I'm a lazy gardener. (laughs) So if there's a way around something... Believe me, I've tried to find it. Well, can you give us kind of a brief, and oh, a brief, <laughs> as in 226 years, um, uh, overview of kind of the company's history and where it was when you purchased it? Oh, I would love to. Well, actually, the company was founded by David Landris in 1784. He had come to Canada from Great Britain, where the family for more than 200 years had been arborists. They had been in the agriculture business, in the horticulture business, for 200 years before he moved them from Britain to Canada. Hmm. He quickly ascertained that Canada was not the place (laughs) to start a seed business. Mm -hmm. And so he made his way down the East Coast to Philadelphia. And in his personal writings, I have not seen this, but his family has told me that in his personal writings, he told them that he chose Philadelphia because it was the center of education and sophistication in this country. Mm-hmm. And that, what was, that was what was needed to start a successful horticultural business. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, um, you know, you have Bartram's Garden right there and exactly. Ben Franklin. So yeah. that, That's right. <laughs> so, so he set it up. Immediately the city of Philadelphia gave him a big contract to plant trees. And I don't know this for sure, but I think in the older neighborhoods, some of the oldest trees are from that original contract. I, oh, I wow. could be dead wrong on that, but it seems to me that somewhere along the line, I've collected that little piece of data. So um, he, he started a seed business. Um, his brother, this is a cute story, his brother had been shanghaied by the British Navy. And um, in those days, they would grab people off the streets to work in the Navy, and uh, it just so happened that the ship that his brother was on, this was Cuthbert, landed mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, and he jumped off the ship <laughs> and Why, went into wisely. his brother, and his brother <laughs> protected him. Yeah. And so that's how he got Cuthbert into the, into the business. They, they, went, um, they quickly grew from 1784 to being the leading seat house by the 1790s. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in, during the the middle part of the 1790s and early 1800s, think about this, they trained every seedsman that eventually became a major seedsman in the U.S. They basically trained this nation's first cadre of seedsmen. Wow. So that was, that was pretty neat. 1798, they introduced the zinnia. 1820, they introduced the tomato, which means that they sold tomato seed commercially for the first time in 1820. But the most significant thing, and if you'll give me just two minutes, I know that's a long time. No, no, Let please. me tell you, the most significant thing, in my opinion, that they did is in the um, mid-1840s, the son, David Landreth, um, realized that this nation was experiencing a huge influx of European and British 
immigrants. And most of those people had lived in cities and had never grown anything, had no idea how to farm, had no idea how to live off the land. And so he decided to change the seed catalog, which until that time had just been a brief listing of seeds offered for sale. Mm -hmm. In 1847, he published a seed catalog that told individuals month by month by month what they should be doing in their gardens and on their farms. He published 13,000 catalogs, and they were gone in a matter of weeks. Now, think about this. It's not the Internet age. It's the Pony Express age. Right. Wow. And they were gone in a matter of weeks. Wow. So he was so taken aback by the demand that the next year he and his family published an apology to the American people <laughs> and said, never again will we not print enough catalogs. Here's the point of my rambling. <laughs> This is 1848 now. Uh By 1859, they were publishing 600,000 catalogs. 600,000 catalogs a year. A catalog was going to every family in America that had a postal address. And this family, the Landris, all by themselves, over the course of the 1840s, 1850s, and 1860s, educated almost three generations of Americans how to live off the land and how to live with the land all by themselves. That's amazing. And I love that you're telling that story because as I was doing the research for the show, I was reading you, you all have published newsletters that have some of the history. And one of the things that was really interesting was their rural register, that almanac, Mm -hmm. as you were describing. Not only did they have information about growing things, but they also had historical information, um, the cabinet members, right, the different nations in South America. They were actually giving people uh, a kind of a liberal education, right, Barbara? Right, Carmen. I'm, yeah. I'm so thrilled that you did this level of research, and that's exactly right. He, <laughs> that's he, Carmen. Landris, the son, believed that if you were going to be an American, by God, you were going to be a responsible American. Yeah. And yeah. so he would always tell who was in the government. He would provide items of scientific information mm-hmm. and cultural information. There's, there's one blurb that he included in one of the catalogs, which says that um, if it's a, it's a cultural uh, recipe, and it says um, that if you want to create great cider, what you need to do is put charcoal into the cider, and it won't ferment, and it won't ever get moldy, uh, but it loses its intoxicating quality. <laughs> 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 well, that probably didn't go over too well. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Cider was probably like one of the staples, few, yeah. staples of uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> of the pantry. Um, that's that's a great story. Yeah, I loved reading those newsletters, and I, it was really great that you you know culled information from from the archives to share with your new customers. I mean, I mean, six hundred thousand. Any catalog today would love to have that circulation. Yeah. Can you imagine? And and Carmen, think about this. In 1859, there were only 3 million people in the United States. Right. They were publishing a catalog for one in five people. So were were these catalogs um, paid for? Yes. I mean... No, no, no. They were free catalogs. They were free catalogs to the public, free to the public. Okay. Wow. Which kind of leads us to the next question, which is, okay... Everybody who's who's remotely interested in gardening gets their mailboxes stuffed with catalogs yeah. for free every year. And I'm finding that they're p- 
of poorer and poorer printing quality. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've noticed, uh, you know, I've been getting catalogs for decades, seed, mail order, what have you. And, and the production quality is going further and further downhill. And your catalog, people have to buy. Yes. And that was probably a tough decision, right? It was an incredibly tough decision because it certainly limited our outreach to the marketplace. There are lots of people that I would love to, ha- to give catalogs to that just simply will not pay for a catalog. But let me explain why we did this. I don't know whether you've seen our most recent catalogs, yep. but the printing quality... Oh, yeah, we're looking down, at it right now. We have it with yeah. us. <laughs> it, it, it's an extraordinary piece of printing um, in the Landreth tradition. Um, the reason that we charge is that we have this catalog printed each year in the United States at a family-owned printing company in York, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And we feel that we aren't... <laughs> we're here because America has kept us here for 220-some years. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do everything that we can to support American citizens. So this catalog costs four times what it would cost if we had it printed in China. Yeah. But by cracky, it's going to be printed in the United States for as long as I have anything to say. Well, I commend you for that. I'm I, I'm more than willing to pay seven. What is it, seven fifty or eight dollars for the cat? Because it's also chock full of information. The information well, you know? is incredible. And it, we try, we try with this catalog to make it just what David Landreth made his catalog. It's an educational resource, right? As well as a listing of seeds, um, and, and, and also what people don't know is it's so heavy that we have to send it out um, by priority mail. Mm-hmm. So it costs $5.15 just to mail the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me uh, just tell you for a second. Um, I come from an art background, Barbara, and oh. I worked um, for Illustration House, which is an art gallery, before I got into horticulture. And we, for many years, we sold... Um, we sold paintings. It was an auction house. We sold paintings um, of illustrations. We sold the original illustrative paintings that would have been for publication for the very, very oldest publications in the United States. Yeah. So um, I was a researcher at the gallery, and for the first few years, we didn't charge for the catalog um, because it was an auction house. So there's all this information that we were gathering on the artist, on the actual pieces. And then we started to think, you know, we're printing this at full color. We have to start charging for it because it's a resource. And we had, it was a little iffy the first couple of years, but now the thing is coveted. People collect them. Yeah, you And keep I think it. that's what's going to happen to you because these catalogs, the information that you have in there, it's, it's timely. You can never, ever outgrow the information that's in here. Well, thank you. I, that's how we feel. And um, it's so nice to hear a third party who isn't somehow related to us saying that. Yeah. Well, let me also ask you about the art um, <laughs> yeah. in, that was on your, on your seed catalogs or, and on your seed packets, because that's, that's something that I'm very interested in. Can you tell us a little bit about the illustrators? I don't know a whole lot about the illustrators, Carmen. Um, I know that they were commissioned by the Landreth family. I don't know individual names. The only, the only story I can tell you about is the, the painting 
from the African American collection, which is which is in its way it's kind of a spooky story. It's um, the lady, the African American lady who is um, shelling, cleaning up vegetables. Uh huh. Um, it's on page forty three. If you have this year's catalog, okay. That that lady's name is Aunt Chloe, and the. This is the creepy part of this story. This picture hung in the musty old warehouse of Landreth when we purchased it, and I thought it was just a junky poster. And one of the young men, a year or so after we purchased the company, who was working for me said, Miss Barb, this is an original oil painting. And I went, no, it isn't. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, no, no. He says, it's so dirty, we can't tell that, but it's an original oil painting. Uh Uh-huh. So... In 2009, when we, when we celebrated our 225th birthday and we introduced the African-American collection, we took this thing apart. And we did it at the behest of uh, Michael Twitty, who was helping us put together the African-American Heritage Collection. And he said, Barb, I know the photograph that this painting was painted from. And I went... A photograph? He said, you have to go and take a look at Rudolf Eckemeyer's work. Rudolf Eckemeyer was a, um, was a photographer from the 1890s to the early 1900s. And during that period, he decided to study African Americans that had decided not to leave the plantations when they were freed. Uh-huh. And he produced a photographic essay Holy about cow. their lives. And this... There actually is a photograph. It's the exact same picture. And someone painted, made an oil painting from that picture. Here's the creepiest part of it. When we opened up the oil painting, on the back it was dated. Now, it was, we were in 2009, the 225th year of Landreth. On the back it was 1909, exactly 100 years before. Holy cow! Yeah, wow! Me, I mean, the, the the hairs went up on our arms. <laughs> yeah, and this is a little too creepy. You released a lot of ghosts that day. <laughs> wow, that's well, incre- That's an awesome story. That is a great, great story about art history, about your history, about the the history of the United States and the, the civil rights movement. It's it's awesome. Just awesome. Well, let's talk about though. While we're on the subject, the African American Heritage Collection. Yeah. What what um, what inspired you all to to put that together uh, for your customers? Okay, I, this is, pardon the pun, an off color story. <laughs> of of all the ethnic, now let me tell you just slightly about my background. What what I wanted to do when I took over this company was I had been a venture capitalist, and, and venture capitalists work in their own way for very good reasons. But I had always wanted as a venture capitalist to someday have the opportunity to build a company in what I called the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's Barb's right way, not anybody else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was to always not be like the undercover bosses who don't even know who they're... they're, uh, they're, they're, they're That's a really funny show. I wanted to know everything about this company and its market on a first-hand basis. Right. So... Um, to the extreme, I'm a hands-on person. And um, I, for the last 10 years, have done about 30 flower shows a year. Me, not 
hiring staff to do it, but me there taking the money, talking to people and stuff like that. Yeah. What I've noticed, or what I noticed, is that of all the ethnicities in this country, the one that is least involved in horticulture is the African-American population. And I, I because I have no brains, um, I have often said to an African-American man, why aren't you interested in gardening? It's such a good thing to do. It's so healthy for you. And to the man, I have been told, we don't do that. That's what the slaves did. Mm. And wow. I think that's the wrong attitude because they... One of the most valuable things the African-Americans brought to this country was their knowledge of horticulture, was yeah. their incredible creativity when it came to cuisine and, and cooking and culinary arts. Right, right. They're, they're outside of the Italians, there's probably <laughs> not another yeah. ethnicity that's, that has brought more creativity to this country in the field of horticulture, and then culinary art. Right. I mean, they, they, are, they are our food system. I mean... That's exactly especially right. Especially in the South. America long before McDonald's did. Right, um, yeah. It, it, I so, mean, they raised our kids and they created exactly our food. right. Like, that's interesting. That's it. So what I, I wanted to do mm-hmm. was, in a gentle and um, uh, um, respectful way, try to raise the awareness amongst African Americans that this is something they, you want to celebrate something, I hate that word, celebrate this, because man, you have something to celebrate. Sure. So, um, for years I'd been thinking about it in my own head, and then I was coming back from Monticello after one of their harvest festivals about five years ago, and, and the organizer of it, Ira Wallace from Southern Exposure Seed Exchange, said, can you give this guy... <laughs> you give this guy a ride back to D.C.? And so Michael Twitty got in the car, and, we're, you know, we're all just jabbering away. We're crammed in. There's like six people in a teeny tiny car. And, and he said, I'm an African-American food historian. Uh-huh. And, and I went, oh, my God, look at what just dropped into our lap. And right. I said to him, this is what we want to do. Can you help? He said, absolutely. And that's how it came about. Great. Well, it's fantastic. Well, um, you you know you're kind of preaching to the choir right now because you're, you're on Heritage Radio Network. I don't I don't know if you know too much about us um, as a network, but we are a network comprised of food and farming and sustainable lifestyle um, DIYers. So most of our programming is is food based, um, historian based. So um, I, I think w- this is a perfect perfect landing for you, Landreth. Boy, it sure seems, it sure seems like the conversation has gone along handsomely, don't you think? <laughs> I, it, it has. Um, I think we have to take a break yes, now. Yes, And uh, give us a minute, and we'll be right back on the line. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Born Day by Taxstar on heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you. 
ranch grass-fed beef Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West Ah, we're back <laughs> on the Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just screaming out that I had to do that. Um, we are with Landreth Seed Company, the oldest seed house in the United States. Um, and Barbara Malera, CEO. CEO. Um, who's not afraid to get her sleeves or to roll up her sleeves, get dirty, go to flower shows. Take the money. <laughs> talk about the history. Everything. So... so Tell us a little bit more about the company. I know I noticed that um, you're, it's not just seed packets that you sell. You also sell tools and supplies. Um, we were also intrigued by the Thomas Jefferson weather implements. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want one of those. That's, that's another great story. It's produced by the Conant Brass Company, which is uh, is an old not not so old. It was I think found it in the eight in the nineteen sixties. It's a Vermont company owned um, originally by a family who was the the dad, the husband was um, a, an exceptional metal artist, metal mm-hmm. artisan. And he began to uh, create all sorts of, actually, thermometers and um, barometers and things like that for the marine industry. Um, and out of that came an interest and a collaboration with Monticello to create these um, these weather instruments that were either a part of Thomas Jefferson's writings or some of his ideas, that kind of thing. He never actually built some of these instruments, but the concept came from his writings. And so they have a line of three instruments. They have a, a rain gauge, a full sun thermometer, and... Um, Rain gauge, a full sun thermometer, and a wind gauge. They're beautiful, and, too. They're, uh, they're, they're beautiful. solid brass. They're beautiful, beautiful, great pieces of garden art as well as uh, scientific instruments. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I've actually looked at that company before because um, they're still in production, right? The the company. Yes, they yeah. Because um, Carmen and I were actually thinking of getting a weather van <laughs> yeah. um, for our little shop but then sandy happened but then sandy happened <laughs> i don't think that would have i don't think uh, the rooster would have made it well let me let me ask you um another question do you are you all still cremating the seeds burning them right? oh you <laughs> <laughs> the back of the catalog I- only the Landris would have done something like this. It's got to be the most miserable piece of marketing I, I have I've ever seen. I, I love mean, it. They actually published in every catalog, and they would do it on at least half a page, our cremation policy. I know. I know. It's brilliant. It's so archaic. It's amazing. What What happened is, and, and what is, what's awesome about the legacy of the Landris family is, when they got here, they already had 200 years of experience under their belts. They were like no other horticulturalist or seedsman or gardener that had come to this country. They had enormous experience. 
Well, by the 18, late 1800s, they were recognizing that the industry was in trouble because all of these shysters were going around taking seed and then remarketing it year after year after year, the right. seed packets that hadn't sold. Right. And so, of course, the seed was not germinating for people, and people were beginning to think they couldn't grow things from seed. Right, right. Yeah. And so, not with the urging of a government or anything, but just because they understood so well the industry and the market, what they did is in 1870, they instituted a policy of dating their seed packets. It was the first time it had ever been done. And also of working out a deal with all of their merchants that they sold wholesale to, mm-hmm. that if the merchant would burn <laughs> the seeds at the end that they had left over at the end of the year, mm-hmm. they would give them a discount. Mm-hmm. And that was their cremation policy. And, and you'll note on the back of that catalog, <laughs> catalog that they actually commissioned an artist yeah. to draw a picture of seeds being burned of the seed so burning. that people yeah. knew that Landreth seeds were always fresh. Yeah. Well, I think it's brilliant. I mean, unfortunately, people don't know that history and they don't know about the necessity. And of a lot that. of people don't notice that there is a date on the seed packet right, now. Right. And I, mm-hmm. now it's mandated, right, Barbara? Like that it has right. to be. Now it's, now it's a yeah. government policy. Mm-hmm. But 130 years before it became a government policy, Landreth was doing it. What's your best seller at Landreth? The zinnia still? Uh, no. The, the thing that we sell the most of in terms of balk, in terms of the actual number of seeds, is Detroit dark red beets. Are you mm. kidding? Really? Nope. <laughs> that is amazing. I didn't know there yes, were that many is. beet lovers. <laughs> I mean, I personally love I beets. I do, too. But yeah. do you, you yeah. also sell wholesale bulk, or is it strictly retail, Barbara? Uh, no, no, we sell wholesale and retail. But but by bulk, I, I misspoke a little bit. I was thinking I wanted to convey to you the number of actual seeds. Oh. The number of actual seeds sold beets. Detroit dark red beets win. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, what's the best seed packet that you sell? Like, in terms of uh, variety, uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that's a good question. It may. Let's see. The best seed packet. Uh, let me give you the three in the running. Okay. Um, it would be the heavenly blue morning glory. Really. The moonflower and probably blue like bush beans. Yeah, I was going to say beans. Good. I was going to say that blue. Yeah, and that's oh. interesting because the Landrits, um One of the things I read in the in the in those cool newsletters that you guys um, published was that he didn't just focus on the new varieties, but he was instrumental in in um, saving the tried and true mm-hmm. heirlooms. Right, Barbara. Uh, more than a hundred years ago, he was yelling to the American public. There's a reason why we've had these seed varieties for so long. He was trying to tell them then that they, they're good seed varieties, but more his thrust was these are seed varieties that can withstand changes in, in weather yeah. and, and mm-hmm. disease mm-hmm. And, and bug infestations. These are the guys that make it when they're, when they're being attacked. And so you need, you need to keep those. They also had a modest, but by even 100 years ago standards, it was very modest. They had a modest development program and testing program, but he, he was more interested in getting people to recognize what they already had. That's astounding because we're relearning that again now. Isn't it, isn't it, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like History's we, the best teacher. <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit 
unfortunately, we're we're coming to the end, Barbara. We could talk for hours, but um, there are other shows on the network (laughs) 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 we have to make room for. Um, So I want to talk about the future. What Mm -hmm. what do you think is the future for specialized seed companies going forward? How how do you think the companies like Landreth are going to compete against the giants like Burpee and other companies that are, you know, going kind of a different path? I think the specialized seed companies may survive the the burpees. Well, they've already survived Ferry Morse because it disappeared right. last year. Yeah. Um, it'll probably survive Park Seed, even though that's probably a no-no to say on public radio. <laughs> um, but it, it, the specialized seed houses are being run by people who actually know their seeds and who are either preserving or introducing to people varieties that are interesting and sustainable. Mm-hmm. The, the big difference, and, and I think Burpee is a national institution, so yes, please yeah. understand sure. I have great respect for the company. Mm-hmm. But, but let me give you a simple example that all of your listeners can understand. So, so a couple of years ago, Burpee introduced the seedless tomato. Right. And they sponsored it, and a lot of people really liked it. In two years, the seedless tomato had disappeared from Burpee's offerings because they were on to the next thing. And the problem is that people couldn't get seeds. So even if they'd learned how to grow that tomato and maximize its output, they were out of luck. That's the way it is with the big seed companies. They move from seed variety to seed variety to seed variety, and you have no continuity. It's like fashion. It really is fashion. But how can you, That's I mean, exactly. just, just let's beg the point. Like, I know this is a dog wagging its tail, but, or chasing its tail, but how can you call yourself a seed company and then introduce a seedless plant? I mean, it's, it's kind of silly, <laughs> well, right? Well, I have to tell you that uh, <laughs> one of the funniest stories that I've, that I've experienced in this business and this was coming from a lady that I have tremendous respect for. She must have been tired that day, and she walked up to me in the booth, and she goes, do you have seeds for the burpee seedless tomato? Do you think I will be able to save the seeds? And I looked at her, and I'm not going to say her name, because I love her dearly, and I said, will you think about what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lady. Yeah, no, I, you do. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> my mother-in-law um, is constantly, because she knows I'm in the business, and she's constantly asking me, "Where have you seen, I need to find Burpee's green ruffles basil, you know? <laughs> and and she loves it. And they, you know, for a few years they sold it, and then they stopped, and she can't find it anywhere. Wow. Right. You yeah. know, and also some of these hybrids, they don't produce viable seed, right, Barbara? I mean, so That's even exactly if, even right, if right. people wanted to save the seed, let's say they wanted to be frugal and um, you know save the seed themselves, they're not going to come true, right? Anyway, they're either not going to grow at all in some cases, right. or they won't come true. Yeah, exactly. right. So, so is your is one of your biggest competitors then somebody like Seed Savers Exchange? Well. Yes and no. This is an industry like none other I've ever experienced. Right. I mean, horticulture people. Together. Yeah, they do. Um, right. Uh, yes, Seed Savers, Baker Creek, Territorial, they're all, quote, unquote, my competitors. Mm-hmm. But, but and, and I will tell you, for example, in, in a year where there's a crop failure, if, if I have enough straight eight, if, if I have all that's left of the straight eight cucumber, I'll share it with all of them at my cost. Right. So that they can all offer it, and they do the same with me. That's right. pretty astounding, it's, right? It's the most bizarre industry I've ever <laughs> been in, and the most delightful because because everybody's in it for the same reason, right? Right. 
Right. And that's that's the best part. And that's why you have the history that you do. Plus, you probably trained all the people in the beginning anyways. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, Barbara, it's been so great having you on the show. I'm sorry that we have to end it, but we have to kicking us out of the studio. (laughs) Um, We please give give share with our listeners the website where they can immediately order some seed and order your catalog and order your catalog. Okay, it's Landreth Seeds. There's an S on the end of seed. And Landreth is L-A-N-D-R-E-T-H. LandrethSeeds.com. Great. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. I know you have probably a whole um, slew of new flower shows to go to in the next few weeks. Thank you so yep. much for taking the time. <laughs> Hope you get it's some sleep tonight. Pleasure. Thank you so very much for inviting me to be a part of such a joyful program. It's been great. Good. Thanks, Thank you for joining us. Well, you've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, we will be back uh, possibly in August. This, probably this summer with Maybe some specials. Yeah. But we're definitely coming back in the fall. Please stay in touch with us on our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. You can also listen on iTunes. See you in the garden. Go get dirty. We'll miss you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.